The following sermon was preached at Selma Community Church, a church in Jefferson City that exists to build communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God by connecting people to Christ in community. For more information, you can find it at www.somajc.org. I want to finish up today with a sermon series that we've been going uh, through uh, over the last few weeks called Things That Jesus Didn't Say. Things that Jesus didn't say. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now, and I think it's been kind of fun because uh, I've had the opportunity to look over uh, all kinds of things that Jesus didn't say and trying to figure out what did he actually say about these subjects. And so this week, uh, we're going to look at the subject that you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. Again, the name of the sermon series is Things Jesus Didn't Say. We're going to look at things that Jesus didn't say. And what he, he didn't talk about this time is things that you deserve. You don't get what you deserve. And, and here's the thing that's kind of interesting. because there's billions of people around the world that, that, are, that are worshiping Jesus today. And, and, and as we look at this, when we look at uh, uh, this series, this is the last one. And then during the summer, we're going to go through a thing called Summer in the Psalms, where we're going to be touching on different psalms all throughout the summer. Just kind of give you an overview of that book. Because a lot of us, I don't know about you, but the, the book of Psalms seems mysterious to me. It, it's a bunch of songs and psalms and sayings, and you're just kind of like, what's going on here? And it doesn't always make sense, and it's kind of just a big overview. So I want to give you that opportunity. But, but when you look at this, when you look at what Jesus did or didn't say, many of you, though you don't have to raise your hands, probably understand what Jesus is going to be talking about in this passage in Luke. Here's what I mean. How many of you guys, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you guys battle with guilt daily? If you're like me, I battle with guilt every single day. I often feel guilty. You see, what we want to do is I, I want to look at what Jesus didn't say about guilt and sin. I, I've researched guilt for the last couple weeks, and now my uh, algorithms on Google are completely different. Uh, um, I've been getting a lot of BetterHelp.com and counseling services because they think I live in a lot of guilt. I, I, I don't understand why uh, Google can't understand I'm a pastor, um, and so I just research different things every week. One week I was looking up divorce, and they were giving me divorce lawyers. I'm like, hey, no, no, I'm trying to find out what Jesus said about it. But now I'm getting like ads for the next few weeks about divorce lawyers. And honestly, if I went into my Google, you know, what they know about me, they're probably really confused because uh, I, I research all kinds of weird things. But I was looking up guilt. This week, and I found out some of the top guilts in America are this. I don't know if you know this, but I'm going to give it to you. Top guilts in America by scientists is this. Uh, food guilt. Anybody have food guilt? Ever have food guilt? Some of y'all have food guilt this afternoon. 29% of what we eat makes us feel guilty, which I find very interesting. Food guilt. I have that. Uh, uh, sometimes you know you're supposed to eat or you start eating or you sit down with a bag of chips and you're like watching TV and then the bag of chips is done but your fingers are really grissy, and you're like, what happened? It's food guilt. That's what happens all the time. Or, and here's the interesting part, it breaks down between men and women. The study I was reading this week, it says that men feel guilty for about 20 minutes. I don't know why our, our time frame is so short, but that's about it. Women, you tend, for some reason, to feel guilty more intensely and even longer than we do. We, I, I don't know if we have like memories like goldfish, and we just kind of like, oh, that happened, and we move on. But I mean, that's what happens. We, we have short memory fans, and I have no idea. I don't want to comment on it. I'll just keep them going. But there's all types of guilt. The study was telling us that the guilt that uh, there, there's mom guilt, that no matter how you measure, uh, how hard you try, you don't measure up. That, that's something that was written in the study. If you're a working mom, it says that you feel guilty about working, that you're not home. And if you're a stay at home mom, you feel guilty about not working. It's just this dichotomy that is constantly dealing with. Maybe, maybe for mom guilt, there's another one they talked about. They call it social media guilt. 
you know, the, the, the girlfriend or the friend you have that's on Pinterest or Instagram that has everything perfect. She never forgets a meal. She always has the perfect baked goods, brings it to everything. That's that kind of guilt. By the way, I don't like those people, but they're, they're, they're that, right? I mean, no, seriously, they always show up with, like, the perfect thing. And you're like, oh, I didn't know it was Admin Assistance Day. Like, you know, you're just, they always know every day, and they always have something there, and it's always, like, branded for that day. It's like, ah, stop. But, you know, they're the Pinterest people. Um, there's general guilt. There's general guilt that just says, I don't do enough. Every adult in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. Every child here is like, I had no idea. And we're like, you're the problem. But, like, we, we you know, we, there's general guilt. When the guy just don't do it enough. I always feel pressure to say yes. There's even spiritual guilt. I don't serve enough. I don't give enough. Or maybe I lost my version Bible streak, and now I have to start at one again. No? Anybody have that? Okay. Maybe, maybe there's that personal one, like I told a lie, or I'm jealous of somebody. I did the best I could to hold my marriage together, but it fell apart. I, I tried as hard as I could, but I still feel guilty. Maybe I say bad words when nobody's around. Maybe I, I, I battle, uh, uh, battle with lustful thoughts and images. What do you do that finds you guilty before God? You see, what I want to do today is I want to look at what Jesus did not say about sin. Everybody say did not. not. What he did not say about guilt and sin. Okay? Because if you feel guilty, I understand. I have a thing that was not listed on that whole study I was reading called pastoral guilt. That was not on there, but it's a thing. You deal with any pastors, we all have it. We'll lie to you in your face and tell you we don't. We do. So there you go. And, and, and basically, it's we don't do as enough as pastors. We're not enough. We're not around enough. But if I'm doing, you know, what I'm doing in church, what I, if I'm doing everything I should be doing in church, I'm not doing enough as a dad. If I'm doing enough as a dad, I'm not doing enough as a husband. So we all have it. We all have our own for, uh, form. But what I want to do today is I want to look at what Jesus did not say about guilt and sin. And so I want to look at uh, uh, I want to look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. If you have a Bible, which you grab it, turn to Luke. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's in the New Testament. Luke chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 32. Luke chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 32. And what you find it, I'm going to ask you to stand in the honor and reading of God's word. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. The word says, Two others who were criminals, who led the way, would be put to death with him. When they asked, they came to a place called the skull, where they crucified him. And the criminals, one was on the right and one was on the left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, watching him, and the rulers scoffed at him, saying to the others, Let him save himself, for if he's the Christ if he's of God, he's the chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering uh, sour wine, saying, If you're the king, save yourself. There's also an inscription over him, the king, of the, kings, uh, the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanging railed against him, saying, If you're not the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under uh, the same sentence. Uh, since you are under the, do you not fear God, since you're not under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly are receiving our due reward for our sin, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. If I were to sum up everything I'm going to say today, it's in this one sentence. You don't get what you deserve. 
You don't get what you deserve. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you don't give us what we deserve. That on the cross you took on our sin, our debt, our guilt, and placed it firmly on you. Father God, I just ask right now that you help us in our guilt, in our sin, in our shame to walk before you knowing that we are clean, we are humbled, and we are yours. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for all of this. Teach us not to walk in this guilt, but walk before you free. Free indeed. In your name we pray. And all God's people would say, Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. So let me give you some context of what we just read. I think you probably know where you are if you're familiar with the Bible at all, but I'm going to give you a little bit of context. It, it would surprise you to see Jesus, instead of wearing a gold crown, probably wearing a crown of thorns, because uh, people think of him as king, which is great. But instead of being surrounded by service, he's surrounded by thieves. Instead of sitting on a throne, you're going to see him hanging on a cross. And then Luke says in verse 32 of 23 that two other men, everybody say two. Two other men were next to him. Pay, I want you to pay careful attention to them because I'm going to ask you a math question. Some of you guys just zoned out. I'm going to ask you a math question, okay? And especially for the, the students in here, you guys got to knock this out. It's easy, okay? Because the answer is in the text I just read to you. I hope you get it right. I don't want you to feel guilty if you weren't paying attention to Mother's Day. So uh, I, I want you to pay attention and know it's coming. I'm kind of give you a prompt. So two other men, everybody say two. Good. Two other men, both criminals, were led out with Jesus to be executed. And, and they came to a place called the Skull, uh, Golgotha, uh, some of you guys have in your translations. And, and crucif uh, they crucified Jesus there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And the question is, how many people were hanging on the cross? Good job. Three. The answer is three. Everybody say three. three. Some of y'all didn't do that math. Okay, so good. Three. <laughs> Those of you, there were three people on the cross. There are three people on the cross. Let's talk for a moment about death by crucifixion. It was horrific. It was horrific. I'm not going to get into all the gory details, but I will tell you that the idea, that the, if you've ever heard the word excruciating, that's where that word comes from, is the idea of crucifixion. It was horrific. The Romans were the, the best, honestly, historically, at taking people out. It was not only physically painful, but it was spiritual, spiritually shameful to die on the cross. Have you ever heard of a word? Uh, uh, it, it, literally, it literally was to take everything out of you, mentally, physically, spiritually, and to embarrass you. And not just embarrass you, but everybody in your family. Everything about you was to be stripped down. Scripture actually said, it literally says it's shameful or, or cursed in some translation to anyone who dies on a tree. This is implying that you're dying on a cross that is physically and spiritually shameful. This is what happened. They would start with beating you. Then, 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 then they, would, uh, they, they would take you and they would force you to go up to the place where they would crucify you. So they took Jesus and he had to carry his own cross up there. It was a horrific day. It wasn't a short day. It wasn't something like we do now. It was a long, all-day thing. One of the reasons why they say it was rare to kill somebody is because it would take sometimes four days for this all to happen. That's part of the reason we have in our Constitution uh, that punishments cannot be cruel and unusual because this was considered cruel and unusual. Four days? That's insane. But this is what they did. 
As a matter of fact, if you look at the crucifixion record when Jesus is hanging on the cross and they stab him in the side, that was actually seen as an act of mercy. That was an act of mercy to help them to die quicker. It was reserved, the crucifixion reserved by Roman standards for the worst of the worst offenders. So you're talking people that hurt uh, widows, that, that, that took others' lives, the, 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 the worst of the worst. So the, the, the people hanging on the cross next to Jesus, they weren't pickpockets, right? These weren't guys that went to the dollar store and took an oatmeal cream pie. It wasn't something like that. Like this, this was, I know it's way specific, but like this is, the idea is that they were deserving of this very expensive, very long and drawn out way and shameful way of killing someone. Three people were there hanging on the cross. Jesus in the middle. The crowd, was, the crowd would be along, and they would spit and yell and kind of say all kinds of things about you and your family. Imagine that. And Jesus, in the middle of it, looks up to heaven. Instead of yelling back at them, which a lot of people did, he looked up to heaven, and he prayed. Th- this reminds me every single time, I'm not Jesus, right? If I go to your house and stub my toe, I want to I fuss at you. My man's in the middle of being killed, and, he, and, and, and in the midst of all that, he says, Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. If, if I'm Jesus at that moment, can we, can we just be honest? If I'm Jesus at that moment, I'm like, hey, God, send about a thousand angels and wipe everybody out. Right? Is that just me? That, that's what I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm taking everybody with me, right? I'm, I'm not just going to die alone. But that's not what he does. That's not what he does. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Scripture goes on to say in verse 39 that one of the criminal, cr- criminals that's hanging there starts hurling incense at Jesus, which is crazy at this point. But it makes sense. If you're the Messiah, save yourself. Matter of fact, save me too, dog. Like, help me out. You, you can save yourself. Didn't you raise people from the dead? You can help us out. Get us. It's arrogant. It's prideful. A very guilty man who, who did what he's there on purpose. Whosoever has mercy or grace, a Savior hurls insults at Jesus. Hurls it at Jesus. And I asked, and the other one asked, don't you even fear God? Don't, don't you even fear God at all? In verse, uh, in verse 41, he says something very interesting. He said, we're punished justly. We're getting what we deserve. We're getting what we deserve. The, the other criminal realized that we committed some type of uh, act, and, and this is uh, a real significant crime that we did, and we're getting our just penance. That's what's supposed to happen for what happens. Our actions are fair. It's just. We're getting what we deserve. If, you, if, 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 if I can get all of you to participate real quick, I'm going to ask you just a couple things. I'm going to give you a statement I think you should know. I'm going to give you a statement I think you should know, and at the end of the statement, I want to see if you can fill in the blank. Okay. The first one is this. Uh, what comes around, oh, so you guys know it. Good, good. Uh, um, your past will come back to, okay, good. You guys know that. If you make your bed, you got to lie on it or sleep on it. I, I saw that one at this point. That was a new one for me, right? And there are all different ways they're going to say you get what you deserve. Yeah, or you get what you get. Yeah, exactly. There's all kinds of ways. That's our society. It's, it's ubiquitous to us, right? Right? If you make your bed, you lie in it. It's, it's ubiquitous to what we say. We say it all the time. If, it, if you're anything like me, the darkest part of me act, uh, that actually loves when somebody gets what they deserve, right? Like, is it just me, people who can drive, when you're driving down I-70 and somebody passes you like you're standing still, and then about six miles later, you pass them as state troopers next to them? You're like, yeah, should have been driving like that in the first place. 
Mind you, I'm going 80 past them. But like, you know, <laughs> but when I see it, I'm like, yeah, you, you get what you deserve, right? Especially, especially as you got that sports car I can't, I can't afford. Yeah, right? That, that's exactly what we do. There's a sick part of me that likes when people get what they deserve, except for when it's me. No, no amen there? Okay, I'll keep that one. <laughs> I don't want to get what I deserve. I never want to get what I deserve. And you see, the second criminal, let's look at him once again. He's pun- he says, we're punished justly for the, disease, uh, the, the deeds that we deserve. And he looks at Jesus, a man, Jesus, who had done nothing wrong, and watch what this criminal says, who's aware of his own sin. He looks at Jesus. Remember, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I love that. He knows what he's done. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And let me tell you Jesus, what Jesus did not say. He, he did not say, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Jesus had every right to. He could have looked at him like, no, you get what you. Yeah. I never liked you anyway. You get on my nerves. But see, Jesus isn't petty. That, that's, again, that's what I love about my God. He's not me. I'm petty. Jesus is not. And I, and I praise God for that. I'm glad we don't serve a petty God, right? He could have easily said, no, nah, you're going to hell. It's what you deserve. But he says, no, no. He could have said, you're going to go where the worm never dies. Where the gnashing of teeth will happen forever and ever. Amen. But no, no, he didn't say that. He could have said, hey, remember that Sermon on the Mount when you were there? You had a chance then. Remember when you were at the house when I was preaching? You had a chance there. You could have gave your life to me then. You missed it. Sorry. Bye. But isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do with our friends and family when, somebody, when somebody's like, well, I need mercy now. You're like, yeah. Remember last week when I gave it to you? Right? Like, he's like, no, no, I need it now. When we finally get to the point we recognize it, Jesus didn't say too little too late. That's not what he said. He didn't say, hey, let me tell you what you could have done or how you could have been your, made your life better. No, no, no. He looked at them and he said, today you'll be with me in the kingdom. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, hey, next week, come to church with me. Because they're hanging on a cross. There was no next week. He didn't say, hey, uh, we're going to fill up the baptismal. On baptism Sunday, we want you to be. Because that wasn't a pause. He was hanging on a cross, right? Hey, make sure you uh, take communion. You take the bread. You dip it into the juice. You remember my body and blood. You take Passover. You're hanging on a cross. He could not earn right standing before God. I just want you to hear that. He could not earn right standing before God. Jesus looked at this guilty, sinful, repentant man, and he, what he said is, today you'll be with me in paradise. Ergo, your, fi- your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Even though you can't earn it, there's nothing you can do to deserve it, I'll still show you grace. That's you and me. You can't earn it, You don't deserve it. God still shows you grace. I don't deserve any of it. Maybe you guys are better than me. I don't deserve any of it. I I grew up in church. I mean, I I literally grew up in church, and and I I had all the head knowledge. I just had no heart understanding. It was here. I was telling uh, telling Tyler earlier that, like, I I went to a Catholic school uh, uh, over the summer, and the priest would make me do stuff and, and I would argue with him he'd be like call me father and I'm like you just told maybe read the bible and it said don't I should call no man father but the father in heaven so why would I call you father I, I had it up here I just didn't have it in here it wasn't here 
I didn't get to go to that school. He didn't like me. But, you know, it was, we, we would argue all the time. He would tell me something. I'm like, but that's not what the Bible says. You make me read the Bible. I'm reading it. Now you're telling me to do something different. I'm confused. It, they, they didn't like me, right? But I had it here. And so here's the thing. Here's the crazy part is I did all kinds of stuff that people who have head knowledge but don't have heart knowledge do. Like I used to cheat in school. Don't raise your hand, kids, but I used to steal until I got caught. I partied like the best of them. I praise God there was no social media. I, I sinned in every way you can think of and probably ways you can't. Until I woke up and I looked myself in the mirror and I realized I hated who I was. I lived my whole life with an anti-vision where I looked at other people and I said, I will not be like them instead of looking and saying, what has God created me to be so I can be that way? I was dead with no hope, no joy, nothing. I was dead, dead. I, I remember one day, my freshman year at, in Kansas State University, great school on earth, and I was there and this guy named Adam comes up to my door, 456 Marlette Hall and goes, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? He had a little mousy voice and everything. Hey, can I tell you about Jesus? I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't want to have this conversation. And uh, proceed, it was a good friendship where we read the Bible over years. In other books also, but we read, ended up reading the Bible. And I'll never forget, there's a few times where God just kind of prompted my heart. Not my head, because I knew it, but my heart. One where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father but by me. John 14. Mess me real, because I remember going to Adam, knocking on his door. Hey, if you believe this, y'all insane. Like, Jesus is the truth, the truth. Not a truth, the truth. That's insane to me. He's like, yeah, I do believe it. And I was like, that's why I'll never follow your Jesus. Click. Another time, reading through Ephesians, where it says you're dead in your trespasses. Listen, that's you and me. If you don't know Jesus, you're dead in your trespasses. I, I, you see, that was the part where I think it started moving this 18 inches from this big old forehead to my heart. We're started moving its way down. We started getting closer to my heart because all of a sudden I started realizing I, I, I'm not just dead. I'm dead in my trespasses. I'm dead in my sins. See, the thief on the cross understood that. He said, I, I'm dead. I got nothing, Jesus. But will you remember me, please? Ephesians 2 tells me by nature, I'm a child of wrath. I, I love, <laughs> I, I was talking to a student the other day and they were just like, you know, you know, pastor, you know, we're all children of God. I said, no, we ain't. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Ephesians 2 tells me that some of y'all are children of wrath. That you live like your father the devil. Oh, that's judgmental. Nope, that's the Bible. That's what the Bible says. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. And that's where we get it twisted in our society. That we think, oh, I'm just going to be a good person. No, he came to make you alive. Our God is that good. Our God is that good. Scripture says, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. Not you, not me, none of us can do enough. We can't all drive 70 on I-70. We, we can't do enough. We can't do enough good things or give people enough good stuff. No, nobody can boast because Jesus is the one that takes you from death to life. That's who I boast. If you're going to boast, you boast on Jesus because you are the undeserving criminal. I, I didn't put you in it. I am the undeserving criminal that has nothing to offer God, but I'm sitting there about to die looking at him going, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? 
What a testimony that should be coming out of you. Everyone else died so that I can live. Every moment of every day, there won't be a day I won't think about what Jesus did for me. In the second that I'm tempted to go, well, look what I, God prompts my heart, and I pray he begins to do that with you. No, 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 no. You, you, you didn't do a combination of Jack nor squat. No, no. You, God gave you everything you have. It's by his grace you're saved. You see, that makes me grateful in that moment. You see, I, I'm not dying on a cross. I'm given life to live my life out in this world. Here's the interesting part. How many people are hanging on that cross? Three. Okay, just some of y'all are still there. That's good. I'm going to ask again. I just want to make sure you're still with me. How many are on the cross? Three. All right, three, three, three. When I was back in, in, in seminary, I, mean seminary uh, I, I learned a couple things that I found funny. We, we did a course, a little booklet on numerology. Anybody ever heard of numerology? Uh, it's a study of numbers in the Bible, which is really interesting. Sometimes people go too far with it, but I find it kind of cool and kind of interesting. And here's what I mean. Like, if you've ever, if you see these numbers in Scripture, you'll see them over and over. God tends to repeat stuff over and over. Since it's Mother's Day, kind of like your mama, right? Just repeats it over and over until you finally get it. So four, if you see four in the Scripture, it tends to represent the earth. Not every time. Tends to represent the earth. Five tends to represent grace. Seven is perfection or holiness. That's God's number. Uh, six is one less than perfection. That's why you see like 666, right? You see that? Eight represents new beginnings. Ten, the number of testing. That's always fun. Uh, 40 is the number of trials. Jesus goes to the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights, right? There's, so yeah, 40 is the number of trials, and there's, there's spiritual themes behind all kinds of numbers out there, which is really cool. You see that, especially in Jewish literature. But the number three in Scripture always means completeness. Always means completeness. So I, I just did a deep dive uh, on this, and I, I kind of went crazy, but I figured I would share it with you so you'd go crazy with me because I thought it was really fun. I, I just did a deep dive on this because God represented, he's represented in three different natures, right? And who is God? He's Father, He's Son, He's Holy Spirit, the triune being. Three, uh, three uh, who's, one what, right? Where we are body, soul, and spirit. I love that, three parts of who we are, right? He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Uh, he's described as having three qualities. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. I love that God has shown that over and over. In Revelation, uh, Jesus is described as the one who is, who was, and the one who is to come. I love that he's shown in three different ways. The grace of God manifests itself in three different forms. Justifying grace, sanctifying grace, and glorifying grace. I just love, I, I told you I did a deep dive. It went crazy. Here we go. The Old Testament, there's three patriarchal fathers. There are... No, 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 Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, it's three. The tabernacle actually had three sections to it. I thought that was cool. That was a new one for me. I didn't even recognize that. There's the outer court, the inner court, and the holy holies. I was like, oh, snap, look at that. The threes are everywhere. The angels in heaven cried out, holy, holy, holy. They could have added one more, but they kept it at three for some reason. Over and over, they keep yelling that. Daniel prayed how many times a day? Three. Jonah was in the belly of the whale for how long? Three, and I went crazy on one of them. I'm not going to do that one. But he, he prayed, uh, let me see, the Apostle Paul was blinded for three days. Yes, from the bright light from heaven. He prayed how many times for the thorn to be, to be taken away from him? 
Three times in the scripture they pray that the thorn would be taken care of. You notice this theme over and over and over. When they, matter of fact, when he got stranded on the island, we just got done studying this, he was on Malta for three months. He was shipwrecked for three months. Jesus, when he was born, he had how many wise men? Three. three that bought, and they brought him how many gifts? Just notice the theme here. I'm just saying, like, it's over and over. And I don't want you to get too deep into the, you know, well, okay, whatever. But I just find it interesting that at age 12, Jesus was uh, separated from his mom and dad for three days. His public ministry lasted three years. Three years. And at the age of 30, from the, uh, from the age of 30 to age of 33, he was tempted by the devil in the desert. Uh, he was tempted by the desert. He had 12 disciples, and there were three in his inner circle. Peter, James, and John who saw him in the Mount of Transfiguration, or with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matter of fact, Peter even, uh, was even predicted to deny Christ, how many times? Three times. He restored him. And matter of fact, when he restored him, he asked him three separate times before he restored him. God spoke audibly, recorded in Scripture. Matter of fact, you know he raised three people from the dead in his ministry? Jairus' daughter, the widow's son, and Lazarus. I just found that kind of interesting. Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matter of fact, tradition even tells us, and this one's extra biblical, so I'll step over here. Tradition even tells us that he fell three times on the way to the cross, which I find kind of interesting too. Again, Google does not know what to do with my searches anymore. <laughs> they really don't know what to do with my searches anymore. But even, even in that, if you look uh, in the crucifixion narrative, it said, King of the Jews, that was written in three different languages above him. That was written in three different languages. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin above him. And then when he died, he died in the ninth hour. Anybody know what the ninth hour is in the Hebrew clock? 3 p.m. I just find it interesting. I told you, I did a deep dive. I went crazy. I apologize. It, it just kept, and I had more. I edited some of this out. There's so much more. I just found it so much fun to dig in it. And matter of fact, he even said three words when he died. Do you remember the three words? It is finished. I love it. It is finished. And then darkness fell across the land for three hours. So just, you know, throwing it out there. He was buried in the grave for three days. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> the idea is this. I, I just want to drive this home. The idea is this. How many people were on that cross that day? Okay, just want to make sure you do your math right. This perfect work of God can be done in and through you because he's not going to hold your sin against you if you're willing to repent and give your life to him. It's because of that. It's because Jesus took the repentant person from the cross because he knew that you could do nothing to earn your forgiveness. And when you understand, I can do nothing to earn forgiveness from God, that I'll take everything that you're willing to give. When I realize that I don't get what I deserve, I get what's given to me. And I praise God for that. If you walked in and, and your guilt is heavy, confess it to God. If there's something you've done or hidden or, or, or something that is behind the scenes that you need to get out in the open, confess it to him. You're, you're, you're not here by accident, but you're here to experience God's grace and mercy the same way the thief on the cross decided to. You can receive that grace and mercy, the gospel, the good news. If you feel dead like I did, if you feel like nothing like I did on the inside, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. I'm going to say it again. He, made, he came to make dead people alive. And that is you today. He's got, he's got two paddles. And they're warming up just to pop you in the chest to get you alive again. Dead people don't do anything. It's alive people. And he must make you alive in him. He's risen and he wants to give you the opportunity to walk with him. 
And he will call you to him over and over and over. Listen, as long as you have breath in your lungs, there's still an opportunity for you to repent and give your life to Jesus. As long as you have, as long as you have strength in your body, God has said, I, I, I will give you everything you need. If you are dying physically right now, he said, I'm enough, I got you. It's whether or not you are willing to actually do it. Don't be like the thief that reviles God because you get what you deserve. Be like the one that understands that you're, you're in the midst of hardship in your life, but you serve a good God that's willing to give you everything that you don't deserve. What I love about the idea of the kingdom of God is this. One day, I'm going to be standing before God, hearing the angels go, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And I always have people go, well, you know, I get to heaven, I'm going to ask them, God, why'd you create mosquitoes? Or why'd you create ticks? And, and listen, those are legit questions, because I saw a mosquito in the bathroom yesterday that had to run to take off. That's how big it was. It was huge. It was, I don't understand why we make such big mosquitoes here. But I, I'm just going to look at him and thank him for saving somebody like me taking a dead man who has nothing to give and going, God, thank you. I got nothing to give you, but I'll, I'll, I, here I am. I'm, I'm just a broken individual before you. Thank you. If that's you, listen, if that's you, God invites you to work out his kingdom and show the rest of the world what that looks like. He invites you to work it all out in front of everybody to let the world see what it looks like. Because our world needs that kind of hope away from guilt and shame. Let's pray. Father, today work in our hearts and the hearts of your people. For those of us that are followers of Christ, help us to be ever more aware of your grace so that we can represent your love to a world that needs it. God, I thank you so much for a church who is ready to show your grace and bring it to the front of our minds at every moment of every day that we live, that we're right with you, because Jesus gave his life for us. There's those of us in this room that know that, or immediately know that we don't have that kind of joy in our life. You look at your lives and you realize that you might be a bit dead on the inside like I was. You may be a church person who went to church and had it in your head, but you didn't know it in your heart. Maybe you're not a church person at all. And suddenly there's something drawing you towards the things of God. If you want to know what that is, that's the loving kindness of God. And you're not here by accident. God's grace is drawing you. We're reminded daily that God took his son and let him die on a cross for you and I. And we have a choice of which one of those sinners on either side of the cross we would become. Father, I just ask that you give them peace. That you let them know they need forgiveness. That they need healing. That they need joy from you. That they are dead inside, but they can be made alive in you.
thank you so much that you would give us the opportunity to serve you and to follow you and to be yours. There's so much more that you have to give us and use us for your glory. We ask you to be present in all things. In your name we pray. All God's people say. Thank you for listening to the audio of Soma Community Church located in Jefferson City. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for the content or alter it in any way without express written permission. For more information about Soma, please visit us at www.somajc.org.